I'm Vicki McCann, and I'm the Director for Curriculum and Instruction with the Archdiocese of Washington Catholic Schools. I'm actually starting my 16th year with the past three years in this role. I wear a lot of hats, just like you. I spearhead all things curriculum standards, resources, instruction, which include professional development and even assessment. I'd like to start by talking about one of our weekly webinars that we just had this past Wednesday on September 30th. The topic was on social-emotional learning, and it was hosted by Melissa Lebowitz, and she's an outstanding, outstanding teacher. She actually teaches at one of the Jewish schools in our area, and she is one of our professors for our teacher certification courses. So if you haven't had a chance to take one of her courses, I highly recommend it. But the outline for her webinar was she actually used the book Beyond Behavior Management, and she basically hosted the webinar by talking about the six life skills that all children need. And she broke down each one of the six life skills. The six life skills are attachment, belonging, self-regulation, collaboration, contribution, and adaptability. And what she did during the webinar was she just talked about each topic and then asked for participant feedback for how they are doing, um, acknowledging one of these life skills. So for example, for attachment, she asked, what are you doing in your environment to ensure that they're connecting to you? So how are you making sure that the student is getting a connection to you yourself as a teacher? Um, she made the example of in her school, each child is getting a phone call once a week. Um, and just making that face-to-face -face connection, maybe you're doing it via you know, the, an online video conferencing tool, or maybe you're just picking up a phone, but just having that connection with the student. For belonging, Melissa brought up, how are you, what are you doing to have students connect to each other? So, and this would be even outside of the actual curriculum. So are students just meeting with kids, kids meeting with kids just to, you know, share and talk about, you know, their fun weekends or, you know, talk about Minecraft? Um, are they sharing things that are in their homes and just having that personal connection? One example she gave was spotlighting every child every day. So I know that there's a spotlight feature using Zoom, but doing something where the student has the platform to talk about whatever they want. So it doesn't have to be linked to education. Um, Self-regulation, uh, she mentioned, is hard for adults as well. However, it's controlling impulses. So controlling your emotions. And she did bring up a great book that she highly recommends and she said that um, the book was Love Behind the Mask. And it's about how behind the mask are your emotions. So giving children like an open mic time to talk about how they're feeling about having to be online school or instead of in school and just having that outlet for children is really important. Um, collaboration, as she mentioned how... Um, how to promote collaboration even outside of the Zoom hours, outside of those instruction hours. So in this, Sam, in this example, she brought up um, students collecting rocks. So she said that students in the in-person classroom, 
seemed to have an interest in collecting rocks when they went outside and they would bring the rocks inside. So the teacher in her school saw that as a great learning opportunity. So the students are into rocks. So the teacher brought in all the books about rocks. They dug in deeper about rocks. And then it was also an opportunity for the online kids to feel that collaboration as well. The online kids were able to look for rocks at home. They could then too share their rocks and just having that connection with each other. Um, find out who's into music, who's into drawing, and then maybe pair them up and have them work on projects. Take the projects offline, you know, outside of their quote unquote science class instruction in uh, hours. Um, being adaptable, adaptability was another life skill that's mentioned in the book. And right now we have to be extremely adaptable. And that's just the way it is right now, unfortunately. Um, but what could you provide students so we're working together and then share your work? So think about being adapting to their home environment. Um, students right now, their world is their house. So you need to be able to bring their house into their learning. So how can you bring in stories? How can you bring in you know, pieces of their house in order to make that connection to your curriculum? And then contribution. So how can students be helpful? How can they have jobs? Um, one example Melissa gave was, you know, having a child's job that's the in-person child, how, have them have the job to make the connection to the uh, virtual child. So when the virtual child is logging into their Zoom time, and you know that five-minute window when the teacher's still actually setting up, but the virtual child has now popped in, so have it a child's job to talk to that virtual child and to make that connection. Maybe they just, you know, talk about what the class is going to be about today. Maybe they talk about how the weather is. They could be talking about anything just to have that connection with that online child and bring them into the classroom while the teacher is doing the setup and getting ready. So those are ways to have that connection and to have that contribution. You can also think about a charity project, um, and we all feel better about ourselves when we're useful. So having some sort of project that students can work on and then maybe bring it to a group, um, share it with others. So having some sort of contribution to the outside world. These were the six life skills that, um, that were brought up in that book the, that Melissa kind of outlined her um, her webinar on the book was beyond behavior management. And I would highly recommend everybody to go out and check out the book, just see what the resources are there when you look it up. And I recommend everybody tune in to the webinar. It is recorded and it'll be in the episode notes for this uh, podcast. So we're going to talk a little bit more about caring for ourselves and for others. And we're actually going to talk to Lainey Park. She is the ADW Counseling Coordinator, and she's going to talk to us a little bit more about trauma and about taking time to care for yourselves. Hey, Lainey. Welcome. Uh, please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background in education. Sure. Hi, Becky. Um, yeah, I'm the Counseling Services Coordinator right now for ADW. And um, while I serve in that role for two days a week, I'm also in uh, Sacred Heart School in Northwest D.C. for two and, um, for two and a half days a week. That's so I great. those two roles. Mm -hmm. um, so we hear the word trauma a lot. What's the importance of understanding trauma in an educational setting? 
Well, trauma is really something that's been looked at these last few years in, in schools because we've realized how much it affects our students' ability to learn, that um, different things affect their brain. There could be just one acute um, event, but often it's, it's complex trauma. It's a number of events that have kind of shaken up their brain and made them less available for learning in the classroom. Gotcha. Can you explain a little bit um, about complex and acute trauma? Sure. So acute trauma is kind of the classic, like a car accident or crime. It's, it's the one event that really shakes someone to the core and kind of makes them look at the world differently and feel, you know, kind of shaken up inside. Complex trauma is much more common. And this is the idea of just a lot of little things that build up over time and make a child like less, um, you know, less calm, less able to kind of be resilient. And that can happen from socioeconomic things. It could happen from um, abuse, but it could also happen just from a lot of little things like what we're seeing right now with, um, with families and all the different changes that have happened uh, during, during the shutdowns and how that's affected students. Right. And that's what I think is, is important to remember is that trauma is not just that, you know, car accident trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, it's much more complex than that. Um, now, you talk about in your uh, presentations, you talk about um, how fast is your clapper. So what do you mean by this? Well, so the school counselors and I have looked at this model um, that comes from conscious discipline. It's an approach of looking at social emotional learning in the schools. And one of the things that they they talk about when they when they use this is the idea of a clapper. And if you can picture um, those sticks that you could shake and they would make that clapping noise back and forth. And it's a way to visualize how fast a child's brain is is moving, how fast their heart is is beating, um, how they're operating. And often it can be used to kind of look at, is this child um, going a mile a minute? And so they're not able to settle enough to take in information or are they kind of under simulated? Are they not able to take in information because they, um, because they're not awake enough and they're not aware enough. And how can we get them to kind of that steady in between where they are more open to learning? Mm-hmm. And then what is a window of tolerance? Can you describe that? Yeah. So it's a way of visualizing how open kids are to, to learning and taking in new information. When a, a child or any person is feeling really overwhelmed, that window of tolerance really like closes in and it makes us less resilient, less patient and less able to focus. The goal then for kids that are experiencing trauma is we're, we're not maybe going to be able to um, open that window entirely, but we want to open it more. What can we do to get them into a calmer state of being? What can we do to make them feel safer? What can we do to kind of open that window enough that they're taking in more information and are better able to engage? 
Um, how do you feel about the importance of caring for adults first? I know the title of your presentation that you give is caring for ourselves and for mm-hmm. our students. So what's your take on that? It's really a way of looking at Often when we look at student behavior, we look first at what they're doing and and how we can change what the students are doing. But this way of of looking at it, and again, comes from conscious discipline, which is an overall social-emotional learning approach for schools. It talks about um, the idea that it's really like as adults, we can, our ability to learn how to moderate ourselves and to bring ourselves to a calm place and to bring ourselves to a place where we can then set the tone and be able to react calmly and, you know, in control of ourselves while we're working with students, that is going to go a long way to our ability to bring students into that state of being with us. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I know, you know, when I was working in schools, you do see teachers, you know, and myself included, especially when you're new, sometimes you let your emotions, you know, get a hold of you. And you have to remember, you have to take a step back, you have to breathe deeply, because your attitude and your actions, you know, affects the whole classroom. So that is a really good point. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, could you give us an example of, you know, what I just mentioned and what we should do if we recognize a trigger? So when we talk about taking care of ourselves as adults first, then, then it becomes important for us not just to look at student triggers, but to look at our own triggers. And a really common trigger for professionals in the classroom or in a school is if a student makes us feel like maybe we don't know what we're doing, right? So, um, so they might look to, you know, something that would tap into our sense of security or, you know, being able to command the space. And so if we recognize that as a trigger, and maybe it is for this one person and not for another, then when it happens, if a student says something that kind of touches on that idea for us, we can take a moment because we've already recognized that's one of our triggers, then we can take a moment see that for what it is, whoa, they're really pushing a sensitive spot for me. I'm going to take a moment, take a deep breath, center myself. I'm still the teacher here. I'm still the counselor here. I can handle this. I can do this. And, um, and then when we're able to do that, recognize the trigger and use that to prompt a moment of self-calming and self-centering, then we're going to be able to respond to that student in a way that's centered on what is right for them and not based on, you know, making ourselves feel calmer um, because that is not something that's going to speak to our students. Right. And then what about like shifting from judging to noticing? So that kind of fits in the same idea, and, but it's a way that we use that for our students. So if we notice a student behavior and our response to it is to judge it, to say, well, you know, they, they just don't care about this, or they're trying to be sneaky, or they're trying to get something over on us, then that way of thinking, whether it's true or not, brings us to a place that makes us feel less warm towards that, that student, that makes us feel less at peace. And so what helps us to keep our calm and keep our center is just to notice 
I noticed that the student did this action. I'm wondering where that came from. I'm not sure. Let me explore that with the student or let me redirect them. It just brings us to a place of calm when we're noticing rather than judging and lets us be more available to the student. Now, along the same topic, there are um, seven resiliency interventions. Can you describe mm -hmm. them? Sure, sure. The first one is relationships, that when we're working with kids that we want to bring you know, more resilience to, that our relationship to them is going to be the most important thing. That that's going to be what is everything else we do with them is, is going to be possible through that relationship. And so that's where we want to start with really connecting with a child or a student and, and trying to build that relationship so that they trust us and they you know, see us as someone who can be helpful to them. Teaching regulation is the next part of that. So once we have that relationship, then we can kind of model that, re that regulation, again, that we're building in ourselves and help them be able to learn and practice that regulation with us. Along with that, when we look at trauma, so trauma, if you can picture a fulcrum, that trauma really kind of like weighs heavy on one side of the fulcrum and it sets kids off balance. And so as educators, we have the opportunity to try to reset their fulcrum. We can't change it, we can't take away the trauma, we can add some positive experiences. We can add some opportunities for competency. We can give them places that they can kind of balance things out. Um, another part is rhythm or routines. So teachers are great at this. Creating rhythm and routines in your classrooms with small children that include songs. With all ages, it just includes a way, like when I walk into the classroom, when I begin this class, this is what I expect to happen. I know this is what this teacher is going to do. That makes me feel calm. It makes me feel safe, creating that rhythm and that routine. Reframing, I touched on earlier, which is really that idea of taking something and, and looking at it in a way that's helpful rather than um, a way that, that makes us feel more upset and less balanced. And then regression is sometimes our kids regress. And one way, one resiliency intervention is to kind of walk with them in that regression, follow them through in that regression and just be with them for a moment so that you can then walk them out of it. And reenactment allows us to do the same thing. We are reenacting with them a painful experience, but we're also saying, what happened next? How did you get through that? So we're walking them through. So that's the seven uh, resiliency interventions. Perfect. Um, could you dive deep a little bit more into the reframing? Do you have any examples? Sure. Um, with reframing, it's great if you are teaching it to kids that you're, you actually can take a picture frame and kind of move it, right? So you're really trying to refocus and reframe a situation in a way that's helpful um, for you. So if you are first looking at a situation like this kid just really wants to get my goat, you know, they are trying to manipulate me, then looking at the situation like that is going to bring me to a place that's really going to raise my, um, my heartbeat, raise my just um, 
sensitivities and I'm going to be less effective in that situation. So I want to try to reframe it in a way that's helpful. And reframing might be, I wonder what's happening with, with this child. Did they, um, I wonder if their, if their sleep patterns have changed because of things that are going on in their life. I wonder, I wonder whether they're able to follow the lesson that I'm leading or whether this is something that's really challenging for them. So I'm reframing it from, uh, from something negative about them to, you know, to trying to understand their vulnerabilities and how I can be helpful. Great. And then where can our teachers go for more resources or information or regarding bullying? Oh, yes. Well, the great thing is, is that the ADW has a contract with Catholic Mutual, and they have a lot of uh, free resources on their website. So it's easy to create your own login. And once you do uh, create a login on that Catholic Mutual website, you have access to videos that you can share with students, videos you can use for staff training, and tools that you can use, worksheets and things. We also have, as the ADW, we have a bullying report form and, um, and other, other things that our office can help with. So you can always reach out to, to me in our office and, um, and to use the resources that we have there. Lainey, this was so informative. Thank you so much. And um, your email address, if they want to get a hold of you, is? Sure. It's parkj, so P-A-R-K-J, at adw.org. Thank you so much, and thanks for your time. Thanks for listening. Check out my website at adwlearnpodcast.com for additional information and resources. If you have any ideas for future topics, reach out and make sure to hit that subscribe button.